What does it mean that God has a plan for your life? You mean that we don't just float through life colliding randomly with good and bad events and God just sort of redemptively reaches in and tries to make the best out of it that He can? Because that's how it feels sometimes, doesn't it? Has your life ever felt that way? You can let me know if you're still here. Has your life ever felt that way? My life has felt that way. But, but if you're saying, you mean you're saying to me that, that somehow God is working behind the scenes along a strategic line where I cannot see bringing forth the circumstances and relationships and opportunities and events of my life to place me in a, in a, in a direction of fruitfulness and fulfillment. I'm saying yes. God has a plan for your life. And when I say God has a plan for your life, that's what I mean. Now, by now, New Year's Eve resolutions are over. Have you noticed that? They're like gone. I don't know if you know it or not, but psychologists have identified, I believe it's January 18th, as the most depressing day of the year. Do you know why? It's about as far as most New Year's resolutions make it. And they die on January 18th. Well, we're a long way from there. New Year's resolutions are gone. So let's talk about not resolutions, but dreams. Romans chapter 8, 23 through 26. I want you to look at it with me this morning. Romans 8, 23 through 26. Let me give you a little bit of the backstop. In this chapter, what... What the writer is telling us, what God is telling us through the writer, is that since the beginning of time and the fall of Adam and Eve, when sin and sickness and brokenness entered into creation and it fell, since that time till now, creation has been groaning. You, you, you hear it described as labor pains. That this world is, is hurting, it's in frustration, trying to give birth to the world that's coming. It's, it's, it's trapped. So that's what the verse before this says. And then this verse begins to address not just creation, not just the world, not just the cosmos, the universe. But look at verse 23. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, now look at this is the key verse for us. In the same way. Just like all of creation, just like we wait, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Remember, all of creation's fallen and broken. We are fallen and broken. In our weakness, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. How many of you have ever been there? I don't even know how to start. How do I, Lord, how do I, how do I go with this? We don't know what we ought to pray, but 
The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Now let's talk about that for a minute. There is a groaning, there is a a desire, there is a longing and an aching and a craving inside of you and inside of me for what? For the kingdom. You and I are citizens of another world. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And we are groaning and longing to be set free from from the dysfunctionality and brokenness of our world and our bodies and our minds and our lives and to fly and soar and sail high above all of this where we've been destined as sons and daughters of God to soar. There's a longing inside you and I to do that. We, we long, we groan for the kingdom and for the things of the kingdom. We long for fulfillment. Now listen, God has a plan for your life. And that plan moves you toward that kingdom fulfillment. It, it, it starts to break, it starts to cut the sandbags to unleash the chains that have anchored us down to this system. It starts to snap them and pop them off and it moves us on a trajectory that is on a collision course with the fulfillment of His kingdom. Are you here? Is this microphone on? Is there anybody understanding what I'm saying? I'm not talking about your resolution. The Spirit intercedes through us and groans. That inward groaning and that inward longing is for the dream that God has put in our hearts. To see His kingdom come, to see His will done on earth and our life as it is in heaven in another dimension. Our spirit groans for a kingdom dream. Like a little puppy with big sad eyes stuck in a cage... In a pet store, we whine, we whimper, we groan, we ache, we long, we stare, we look through the bars, and we and we long to get out. Now, what is a dream? A dream is where God's plan for your life and the inner longings of your soul. This Romans 8 groaning, this inner longing inside your soul and God's dream, God's plan for your life, it's where they intersect. It's, that, it's like building a bridge from, from both sides. God is working on a dream and eternity for your life. He's building that bridge toward you. He has a plan that he, that he wants in your life. But by the same token, He has put the deposit of the Holy Spirit inside you. And from inside you, He's working you toward that dream so that it might meet in the middle. Now, He's working on the plan. We don't have any part in that. But this inner groaning inside our soul that is put there by the Holy Spirit at salvation, that inner longing inside of us for kingdom fulfillment, to find that plan, find that dream, to work our way into eternity, that is put inside us by the Holy Spirit. And we have to partner with it to see that dream happen. We're not building our side. We're not Now, we don't build it all, but He wants our, our partnership in it or the bridge will never meet in the middle. 
These dreams are not lived in the slumber of night, but in the clarity of day. They are dreams that live in us when we're awake, not when we're asleep. Now look at Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Acts chapter I think there's a note section in your bulletin if you have something to write with. I, I want to encourage you to take some notes this morning and, and let, the, let the Holy Spirit work these things in you. Acts chapter 2 verse 4, we, we, we know this verse. Uh, can you scroll back to Acts 1.8? I think that's the one I actually want. Acts 1.8. Let me look at that. Acts 1.8. No, I've actually given you the wrong verse altogether. You ever done that? Here we go. Go to 17. You like that, don't you? Go to Acts 2.17. Actually, nothing I've said is right so far. Go to Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Do you know when the last days started? When Jesus left and the spirit came. The last day started then. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now put these two ideas together. You have this groaning inside you from Romans 8. To be set free from the weaknesses of this world. And and to live in a in fulfillment of the kingdom and fruitfulness in the kingdom, God's plan for your life is coming towards you. The groaning of the Spirit is inside you. And then in the middle of that, it's like a three-way crossing. In the middle of that, uh, the Apostle Peter said, in the last days, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh right at that meeting place. And, and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and your daughters and sons will prophesy. Now, now stay with me. What, what, what is that convergence? The work of the Holy Spirit in your life will take you to another level of dreaming. He will take you in, in another level of direction and vision and destiny. I can tell a whole lot more about how fresh your relationship with God is based on your dreams based on your based on your vision based on how 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 I can tell how yielded you are how how um how much his power is at work in you based on your dreams more than how often you speak in tongues we look for that evidence let me give you a huge evidence where's the dream Where's the intersection and stirring and groaning of the Spirit that moves us, propels us toward kingdom fulfillment and fruitfulness? If you see a person with no dream, you are looking at a person, whether you're looking at a mirror or across the street, 
You're looking at a person that is in desperate need to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. Now, so many times when you hear people, I mean, you know, we have, you know, conferences and meetings and all this stuff. Everybody's going to tell you how to set goals and reach dreams and all this kind of stuff. A lot of that, well, a lot of that psychobabble. <laughs> but there is a reality underneath it that God is set in the foundation of his creation. There's, there is an underpinning of that that God has set in the work of the Holy Spirit for us. Here's the question. Let me give you the most probably overlooked and important question when it comes to God's dream for your life. And if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. What kind of person will I have to become to see God's dream become a reality in my life? What kind of person will I have to become to see God's dream become a reality in my life? Because we as Americans are masters of compartmentalization. We want to work on our dream as if it's some inanimate object over here that's altogether unconnected and separated from us. We heard it, we hear it in American life. What does this guy's personal character have to do with his job performance? What does the affair that he had on his wife have to do with how good he is at engineering? I mean, these are totally connected. What does it have to do with, with his debt load or what he watches on TV? Or, or What does that have to do with his 9 to 5 job? Well, we've been told it has nothing to do with it. I'm telling you it has everything to do with it. It has to do with God's dream. God doesn't see us as two people, one at work and one at home. God sees us as a whole person. He sees us as one whole person. We approach dreams, we approach the, God's plan for our life almost as if it's a third person. There's God and me and then there's it. There's this plan that we could somehow fulfill this great kingdom dream but not ever be changed by it ourselves. I don't want a dream that won't change me. I don't want a dream that won't work on me. God will give you a dream... Watch this. He'll give you a dream, and here you are in life, and then He'll bring you up and fit you to it. God will fit the dreamer to the dream. He doesn't fit the dream to the dreamer. Does that make sense? He's going to set a, a dream bar that's higher than where you already are. And then He's going to beckon you up to rise and meet it. He's going to call you out of some things to rise up and meet it. He doesn't give you the dream that fits you as you are. He gives you the dream to fit who He wants you to become. God's always had a plan. He's always had a dream. He's always had a picture. He's always had a vision of what you and I would be. And when he casts that dream out over your life, it will require you to become the kind of person he always wanted you to be to fulfill it. God gives us kingdom advancing dreams. But now listen to this. But he also gives... God has a hidden agenda in the dreams that he gives. God also 
gives us dreams because it's the only way He can get us to become the heroic people that He always wanted us to be. It's the only way, it's the, the, the energy of the dream that calls us up to kingdom living is the energy that works inside of us, the motivation that moves inside of us to push us on into kingdom life. Now that doesn't mean that you'll become everything that you dream of. And it doesn't mean that you'll become everything that God dreams you'll be either. You and I won't become everything we dream of. But we won't become anything we don't dream of. Very few of us are, are made, God made very few of us to live a life of fame. But all of us are made to live a life of greatness. I think we oftentimes confuse fame and greatness. Fame is what I do for myself. Greatness is what I do for you. Do you see the difference? Fame is what you do to promote and forward yourself. Greatness is what you've done for other people. There's an enormous difference between the two. We're made for lives of greatness. God did not birth you and I in this kingdom to live stunted lives. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. Great lives are born from great dreams and often require great sacrifice, and great suffering. Great lives are born from great dreams and often require great sacrifice and great suffering. Now, as I looked through the Bible, I saw some dreamers that we could learn from. I mean, the Bible's filled with them. Jesus actually led a movement of dreamers. I mean... Think about the the crew he put together. Think about what they came from and how he changed them into dreamers. They had begun to see organized religion. They had begun to see relationship with God. They had begun to see God. They had begun to see life. They had begun to see um, culture. They began to see... Uh, racial equality, they begin to see the whole world different. If you would have lived then, you would have said, that crackpot of guys are dreamers. They have taken a walk too far down the plank and they're about to fall off. If you look through the Bible though, you'll find one, now listen to this, you'll find one common denominator in the lives of all people that God used across a lifetime. I challenge you to look at the characters in Scripture that God used across their lifetime, and you'll find a common denominator. Every one was a dreamer. Every one of them. Every one of them was a dreamer. Now, let me give you a few examples this morning. The first dreamer I want to talk to you about was Joseph. Joseph if you're taking notes, was a, re- was a rejected dreamer. Joseph was a rejected dreamer. There will be those people in life that reject your dream. Joseph, Joseph told everybody his dream, foolishly. He, he went, it, it, you know, he was the younger brother, and he, you know, our kids do this. They say, look, look, I got a donut. What they're saying is, you don't. 
Joseph was already daddy's favorite and everybody knew it and he went and told him the dream. Now, okay, that's just stupid. Because I have a dream, you don't. I'm going to be great and you're not. See my coat? I've lettered in godness. And, and you can imagine it excited more than you might think. It almost killed him. Now, what do you do with that? Well, I mean, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a wise sage. He was a, a young man that didn't understand the wisdom that you put with dreams. But that doesn't matter. He was still a rejected dreamer. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, lived much of his adult life in prison... And his dream, now listen, his dream was reinforced and confronted by rejection much of his adult life. From early childhood, the enemy said, God has a dream for your life that you'll raise up and become a deliverer. So what I'm going to do is make you bound. I'm going to strike you at the point of God's destiny on your life. And so the enemy kept reinforcing to him year in and year out, 11 years in a prison, year in and year out and year in and year out. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Your brothers hate you. Your family hates you. Nobody cares about you. You're stuck down in this nasty prison and somebody's going to slip in and cut your throat one night. Where's God now? And that Joseph was a rejected dreamer. What do we learn from his life? Don't let your spirit sour because other people reject your dream. Don't let it cause bitterness in you. Don't let it it weigh on you. Don't, Don't give up. Just because other people reject your dream doesn't mean that you have to give up on God's dream in your life. Joseph refused to allow the rejection to master his life. They could, his rejection, those rejections couldn't keep him in a pit, couldn't keep him in a prison. And, and he refused to stay in the palace when the leader's wife hit on him. He took off. None of those rejections caused him to lash out in an inappropriate way. Joseph, now here's the question I want to ask you in these dreamers' lives. What kind of man, I've said to you, what kind of person will you have to become to fulfill the dream that God has for your life? What kind of person did Joseph have to become? He was a rejected dreamer. What kind of person did he have to become to see God's dream realized? Joseph had to become a fruitful man of faith. Everywhere Joseph went, everything underneath him prospered because he was fruitful. He gave his life, rather than saying, I'm rejected and everybody hates me and I'm going to sit over here in my bunk and and scratch numbers on the wall counting the days I've been in here. Joseph was promoted everywhere he went because he focused not on rejection but on fruitfulness. Joseph became a fruitful, faithful man and that's exactly the kind of man that God needed to, to set up a storehouse that would help that region survive in a famine. God needed a faithful Fruitful man. And that's the man that Joseph become. Joseph had to become a man of deep, stubborn faith. Joseph was a rejected dreamer. I remember how discouraging it was for me. I used to work at the mall. And, uh, and then I worked with a roofing company for a while, just out of high school. And I was working toward going to uh, college to prepare for ministry. 
And I can remember running into a pastor's wife in Sears one night where I worked. And um, I, I'd done everything I could do to get ready for school. I couldn't get the grants. I couldn't get uh, enough loans. I, 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 my family didn't have the money to send me. I couldn't raise enough in one summer. And I just was going to have to wait another year, and it was discouraging. But I knew that God had given me a dream to spend my life in ministry. And I remember running into a pastor's wife one night. She cut through. And she said, hey, I thought you went off to uh, college. And I, told, I said, you know, I'm, I'm going next year. I've, I've had the, um, I told her the whole story. And she just level looked at me and said, you'll never go. And today I'd like to say, What you have to ask yourself is what kind of person do you have to become to fulfill the dream that God's given you? There's another person I saw in Scripture. Daniel, if you're writing this down, was a prophetic dreamer. Daniel was a prophetic dreamer. He was dreaming about the future. When God gives you a dream, let me tell you one of the things that will happen. The culture that we live... Not just the... All cultures everywhere. Daniel faced this way back then. When God gives you a dream, the culture that we live in will try to shrink wrap that dream to fit the systems of the world. It will try to minimize it and shrink it down and lower it and contour it to the systems of this world. Well, it's a really easy lesson that we hear. It's not easy. It's simple. It's not easy. Don't let the world shape you, shape it. Don't conform to those around you. If God's given you a dream, go upstream if you have to. When Daniel looked out his window toward Jerusalem and the king said, anybody that prays to God is going to be thrown into the uh, lion's den, Daniel said, you can throw me in the lion's den if you want. I'm opening the windows and I'm facing Jerusalem and I'm going to pray three times a day just like I did before it was against the law. Now listen, what kind of person did God have to make Daniel to fulfill the dream? If you allow other people to determine your destiny in life, your destiny will become smaller than the people you're allowing to change your dream. Because it's like cloning. It degenerates with every generation that you go down. Because Daniel refused to be influenced by his society, he influenced it. Because the three Hebrew children said, we're not going to bow when you blow the horn and want us to bow at the idol. They changed that culture. Daniel, what kind of person did Daniel have to become to see God's dream in his life? Daniel had to become a rebellious intercessor. Daniel had to say, when you say it's against the law, there's something that rises up inside of me and says, I, I go by a different law. There's something inside of me that says, I'm going to rebel against the culture of this world and I'm going to pray the culture of heaven into this world. And that's what Daniel did. Here's the third person. The Apostle Peter. Peter was a teachable dreamer. Do you remember when the Apostle Peter was at Cornelius' house? He was laying on the rooftop and he had a dream. 
And in his dream, a blanket came and opened up from heaven. And what came running out of it were all the animals that a Jew was not supposed to eat. And, and the word that came to him and that vision was, it's now good to eat these things. And, and Peter, as you might imagine, argued with God. Not that we've ever seen that before. He said, no, no, Lord, these things are defiled. I'm a good Jew. I can't eat these things. And Jesus said to him in that dream, don't call unclean what I've called clean. God was changing this man's attitude toward what he thought was dirty. Now, what can we learn from from a teachable dreamer? Don't get bogged down in your religious views. It's not... If it's not a conviction that's clearly taught in Scripture, then it's a religious view. And to see God's dream come to pass in our life, we have to remain teachable dreamers. I mean, you have people say, you have to take communion every Sunday. Every Sunday you have to take communion. Where is that in the Bible? We, 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 we have to sing one hymn every week, one hymn every week, or God won't like us anymore. We have to read out of the King James Bible. King James Bible only. We have to read out of the King James Bible. That's, that's not a scriptural mandate. That's a human opinion. And we've done more harm in the body of Christ by calling things absolute truth that are actually absolute opinion. That are absolute view. Look, it's okay to not like every, everything everybody else does. As long as you're okay with two things. Giving everyone else permission to not like everything you do. <laughs> That's a two-way street. And understanding that you and I's preferences, you and I's, even some of our convictions are personal. Some of our convictions are personal, and that's fine to have them. They're issues of the conscience. They're fine to have them. But it doesn't mean that it's God's mandate for the body of Christ globally. It doesn't mean that it fits everywhere and every culture and every time. Now, why would I tell you all that? Why would I digress into that? Let me tell you why. The thing that will deflate your dream as quick as anything I know is calling what is opinion sacred and what is sacred opinion. You will lose your dream. Because as the Apostle Peter sitting on that rooftop and that, and that blanket comes down and those animals come running out, the quickest thing in the world for him to have done would have been to said, this is not right. And I'm not doing it. Listen, but because he went into it, because he opened his mind, because he opened his heart, God opened up, listen to this, God opened up the parameters of the Apostle Peter's ministry, and the Gentiles got the gospel because of him. Because he remained a teachable dreamer. He stopped preaching to the same people, and God did a wonderful work among the Gentiles. What kind of person did the Apostle Peter have to become to meet that dream that God had put in his life? He had to become a cross-cultural missionary. And God's kingdom advanced, and the Apostle Peter found his destiny in life. Now, here's the last one. John, ask our musicians to come, was a persecuted dreamer. 
John was a persecuted dreamer. What in the world can we lose, learn from him? Don't lose confidence in tomorrow because of what you're facing today. Don't lose the hope that what God said he would do, he will do. Don't let what you see become so blinding that you can't keep seeing what God has said he would do with spiritual eyes. If you've lived more than 25 minutes, you've had the thought somewhere in your life, this is the one that's going to kill me. This is it. I've come, I've come this far for this, this right here, and this one's going to take me out. Elizabeth, it's the big one. I'm coming home. If you've lived any time at all, the thoughts cross your mind, I'm going to go broke. I'm I'm going to live in poverty the rest of my life. This sickness is going to kill me. I'm going to tell people what's in my heart and they're going to reject me. Can I tell you what we learned from John? You can get caught in the spirit in the middle of a problem. Thank God. You can get caught up in the spirit in the middle of a problem. You might want to jot this down. A dream can make the difference and hope and despair. A dream, sometimes it's hard to see hope because it's mixed in with despair. But a dream can separate them out so you can see. A, A dream can make the difference in hope and despair. Hope makes the difference in faith and unbelief. Faith makes the difference in hope and in faith and unbelief. Now listen to this. And faith makes the difference between what will be and what will never be. But faith starts with hope. And hope leads to faith. And faith is the difference between what will be and what will never be. What kind of person did John have to become to see God's dream in his life? John had to become a faithful prophet to realize the dream that God had for him. He had to keep proclaiming in spite of everything he saw. A dream is rooted in truth. And it's only fulfilled by obedience and growth. You have to obey God and rise to what He's calling you to become to meet meet the other end of that bridge that's coming at you. You'll never fulfill a dream of God's through disobedience. You'll never do it. It'll never happen. What is a fantasy? A fantasy, we'll talk about this some in the weeks to come. A fantasy is rooted in self-gratification and it requires no sacrifice. You don't need to become anything. You don't need to change anything. You don't need to give up anything. You don't need to give anything. You don't need to learn anything. You don't need to do anything. Just jump right in. That's a fantasy. And that's what most of the commercials you see on TV are based in, is fantasy. Have it your way. Do it now. You deserve it. Jump in. It's free. It's cheap. It's easy. It'll, you'll hardly miss anything. Just jump right in. The world allures us into fantasies. And the truth is, 
the truth is that most people won't say is they feel good. The other truth that, that the marketing will never tell you is though, they just don't last long. Dreams are for a life. Fantasies are for a moment and they're gone. It'll feel good for that moment, but then it's gone. A fantasy is rooted in you and a dream is rooted in other people. That woman that winks at you at the mall is your fantasy. The woman waiting at home for you is your dream. And if you marry your fantasy and miss your dream, you're going to be miserable. Because God has fit a dream for your life that will pull you up and move you into the person He's always wanted you to be. If you're taking notes, this is probably something you'll remember. But boy, in those low moments, in those dark times, it'll be good just to read. Satan will always have a fantasy for you. And God will always have a dream for you. What you have to say is I want to move on with God and I want to become what I need to become in order for Him to do what He needs to do. The size of your dream will only be measured at your funeral. And on that day, it'll become clear whether you had a dream or a fantasy. Because the dream will be seen in the people standing around the casket looking at the body you used to live in. The people who you had fantasy with won't be there. And at funerals, we get a revelation of what a dream of God is about. This morning... I wonder how many times um, you know it's it's easy to have a dream when you don't realize the cost. They seem free and cheap. And so I remember I remember when I first came to God, I had wild and obnoxious dreams. Because they seem they seem, you know, free. They seem easy. Because you look at other people that the Lord had... But I didn't see what people had to become to move in those dreams. I just saw what they were then. And I thought, well, from, from here to there is not far. Let me just invent... If that's what they did, let me try to invent a bigger dream that will cover all that. Man, wouldn't that be... Let's, let's have a... So a lot of times when we start dreaming, our goal is to just have a bigger dream than anybody else. Because we don't know anything about cost. On the other hand, somewhere in the maturity process, the dreams start to shrink. And somehow or another, we don't have the ability up front to let them just 
pull into the scope where God wants them. We just, once they start falling and reality starts setting in, we start getting discouraged and they just keep shrinking smaller and smaller and smaller to then they're, then they're too small. And what I wanted this morning, if you're here and you're just saying, man, some of those things that were in my heart in my youth, some of them were wild and bizarre. And you know, some of them were me. But in principle, there were some things in there that I think God actually put in there that I gave up on because hardship or sickness or, or economy or broken relationship or wounding or something has come against me, the circumstances of my life have shaped me and just discouraged me and I just let go of some things that God put in there. I want to ask you this morning to open your heart and let God renew the dream. Some of you, the dream's there and you know it's there. And you know what it is. It just doesn't seem like in light of what's been going on in your life recently that it'll ever happen. I want, I, want to, I want to tell you something. The enemy has come against... Uh, I was with a group of pastors this week. And as you begin to see patterns, you see how the enemy strategizes to chop down the plan of God, to undercut it. Uh, the enemy will teach you in every way possible, either through reinforced pain or reinforced pleasure, he'll keep teaching you to give up on God's dream. And it seems like we're in a time where the enemy has come against us in, in health, in basic, in sickness, in, in physical struggle. I mean, I, you know, it's always one of those deals. It's like you never saw blue cars till you got a blue car. Now they all look blue. You know what I'm saying? I know it can be. In our family, we had deep struggles last week in health and and um, my my mother uh, on my wife's side has uh, my mother, and then on her side, and then our kids, and then as I sat with pastors this week, I heard stories in their life. A missionary in Haiti, in Dominican Republic, their daughter, God has put a destiny in her to raise her up to rescue children in Latin America. But the enemies come against her in severe chemical depression. And psychologists have told her, the last thing you need to do is work with rescuing children. It'll send you in a, in a depressive loop. Man, that's the devil. That's just darkness. That's just come to steal and kill and destroy and rob. Sometimes the circumstances of life just beat God's dream out of us. But sometimes the enemy tries to murder it. He's a killer. I want you to stand with me this morning. And I, wherever you fit in that mix, I want us to come against. I want us to come against the work of the enemy over our dreams. You've come this morning and you say, that dream's faded, that dream's gone dim. Something in my dream has begun to, to shrink or suffer. Or you say, there's some things God put in there and I've just hadn't thought, I hadn't, I've just kind of, 
I've been trying to survive. But I'm telling you by the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning, the Spirit of God raises up dreamers. And He wants to restore this morning, in Jesus' name, the dreams that He's put in your heart. He wants to breathe fresh life back into them. And He wants to make them live again. And whether it's through circumstance or the enemy, or maybe you've just not ever been clear what the dream is, this morning the Holy Spirit's come to meet you here. To fill you with those dreams. In the last days, the Bible says, I will pour out my Spirit and you will prophesy and you will see dreams and visions. The Spirit has, He wants to match that inner groaning inside of you to take off the apparatus that has shrunk you and minimized you and He wants to renew the dream inside you. Every eye closed. Man, if that's you this morning, I want you to move to this altar.